Does the number, Simo, by any chance, 1742, mean uh, anything to your good self? George II was uh, was on, on the throne, wasn't he, right then? <laughs> George II. Oh, do you know what? I wasn't thinking of anything nearly as highbrow. It's your time, and Simo Jr., Charlie the Racer, was just six-tenths off you. You did 1742, didn't you, in the karting? You do realise you're not in the juniors category anymore. <laughs> no. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. He. Uh, I was very proud to yeah. see to follow him round the track. At uh, you know, I could not get past him, and uh, yeah, very, very proud. And it, it was a, a little bit of that competitive dad came out in me mm-hmm. uh, last week, and uh, you know, great, great on him. Charlie is um, heading out on the uh, the Daniel Ricardo Series National Karting Championship. Uh, this year so uh so yeah follow follow him uh with interest but uh, uh he's nearly as quick as me you i can see you're going to be pitching aren't you to a sponsor for yourself trying to get away with the high-pitched voice on the yes well it's andrew <laughs> i am i'm under 13 <laughs> any willing sponsors out there then we're, we'll be more than happy uh, to take your money and uh and support charlie through i i think my time has i'd love to get back behind the wheel but uh, uh my time racing abruptly came to an end when I uh, when I wrote my rally car off a few years back. Maybe one day we'll get behind the wheel. The right move. The property podcast with Andrew Simmons and JP. Property is our thing. We know what it means to you, and Simo is all over it. Like you, John Durrant is someone who knows the industry inside out, Simo, and back to front. He was in agency for a long, long time and is now part of the Doctor Photo business. He's our guest and I wonder what he thinks of 28-week contracts. The idea that you're, you know, you're locked into one agent for well, half a year when it comes to selling your house. He is not going to mince his words. No, and I'm really pleased uh, to hear John's viewpoint on things. And I'm a massive believer in short-term and even zero contracts for vendors. So is Charlie. So looking forward to also hearing from Charlie Landon in our usual slot, Charlie Says. Now, he's a pub owner, chef and a self-builder. Our mate Alan is sending over another audio diary of where things are now with his self-build. He keeps saying to me, I'm sure he said this more than once, did, did I mention the, the Inglenook fireplace? In the, yes, yes. <laughs> we do like an Inglenook fireplace. But that's something that you don't often get in uh, holiday lets. So we're going to then look over some new controls that are looking to be introduced for the holiday let sector yeah interesting one this we're going to kick it off shortly selling buying investing are you making the right move you're about to hear from john durant he has got some very clear views about estate agents who want to lock in a vendor to a long, long and exclusive agreement. He wants something done about it. We're about to hear from Simo and he's got a point, I think. Oh, very much got a point. Absolutely. Uh, It's one of the things that I really do detest when I come against other agents who really want to tie people down. Mm. Uh, At the end of the day, if you as a vendor here aren't happy with your agent, then why should you have to wait? for, I don't know, 
nigh on six months to release yourself from that contract. It's just terrible, really. Mm. And it just does totally, in my view, show a lack of complete confidence that that uh, agent must have to be able to sell your property. Yeah, real can of worms, this uh, hornet's nest, all the rest of it. We'll run the rule and uh, let's bring that on. So welcome, John. Uh, Really glad that you're here with us on the podcast. So let's kick it off with 28-week sole agency agreements. What do they mean for the public and what impact do they have? So at the end of the day, it means that they're going to very likely sell for less than they would have achieved if they'd asked a proper price in the first place. Agents who ask for a a 26 or 28 week sold agency tend to be the ones that overprice properties to attract the instruction. And they use that period of time to chip away at the price until, uh, until it's worth what what they would, um, uh, worth what the market can bear. Mm. So it's, it's not a a very good idea from the public perspective, uh, to sign up for a long-term sold agency. That's what it means Mm. to, to them, to the public, I mean, uh, it's, it's not a great idea. So, what's driving this? You know, it, is it just greed? Well, uh, twenty-eight week sole agencies are just almost justifiable uh, if the vendor has a very high um, valuation on their own property. If, if they think that the property is worth more than it actually is worth, then the estate agent might be justified in. Uh, in asking for a very long sold agency, uh, generally it's it's um, more that the estate agent is misleading the uh, public into signing up for a long term agency, because by doing so they can attract the business to their agency, uh, perhaps away from another agent uh, that might be more professional and might be a, a better estate agent altogether. Um, agents who give proper advice uh, about valuation you know there's no you can't mm. you can't achieve more for a property than it's actually worth mm. that there is an optimal price but and you can't achieve more than a property's worth uh, but very often houses are, or properties are put onto the market at at um, more than they are actually worth purely so that the agent can attract the instruction away from other agents mm. In the piece you wrote for The Negotiator, uh, you say one of the drivers for such a long agreement would be an agent's lack of confidence that they can get a quick, you know, successful sale. Of course, they won't articulate that to the vendor. So this is doubly underhand. Well, it is. They're not They're not open about it. Mm. And the type of person who was signed up to a very long-term sole agency is blinded by the uh, by the fact that the agent is suggesting a much higher price than the property is actually worth and perhaps much higher price than the competitor agents are suggesting. So those vendors are, are blinded by that and they don't even consider what term agency or what the implications of a long-term agency would be. So they end up eventually down the line feeling had um, because I, it happened to my auntie, in fact. <laughs> she... she um, she didn't ask my advice. She asked her son's advice, next bank manager, about um, selling her property. And the first I knew mm. about it was that uh, her property uh, was on the market with them for a lot more than I would have anticipated. This mm. was a few years ago, and uh, they promised all they promised the earth basically. And and um, what three or four months down the line, uh, they were saying, "Well, you've got to drop the price." Um, and so there was a ten percent drop. And um, eventually they did sell it, uh, but they sold it for the same kind of 
money that other agents had said in the first place. So she was now three or four months down the line. That was one of the implications that we're not really, we haven't really mentioned. You know, there's mm-hmm. a waste, big waste of time. Had she had another property in mind to buy, uh, then she would have uh, felt very um, distraught, but she actually didn't find another property to buy until she had a buyer for her own property. Um, so, but there are people who put the houses on the market because they think that they're going to, um, they, they found a property that they, they want to buy, they put their own house on the market, it's the wrong way around, but that's the way mm-hmm. uh, things happen very often. Um, and they um, they end up uh, perhaps losing their initial properties that they wanted to buy and, you know, because it's four months wasted. Much better to put the house on uh, for uh, the proper price in in, in the first place and, and not waste that time. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, you know, um, perhaps get, um, you know, a, a, a better figure for it because with the market declining, uh, the gap between um, asking price and what it's actually worth will uh, will fall. And so that gap gets bigger uh, the longer time goes on. So it's, it's just not a good thing um, for estate agents to be doing purely uh, so that they can win an instruction away from um, others. You know, if if an estate agent feels that the property is worth that, that that's great. Um, but let them not sign up the vendor for 28 weeks um, or even 12 weeks, uh, to be honest. Um, you know, if you can't find uh, interest in a property in eight weeks, then you're probably not a very good agent. Uh, and or or you've overpriced a property, and you know you've overpriced a property. So there are an awful lot of agents uh, now who are um, using a two-week rolling agency, and that seems to me the fairest way to go. You just if you're offering a, a good service, then the owner can. Um, the owner can stick with you. Mm. They will want to stick with you. They they can see that they're getting viewings. But there are an awful lot of agents who are taking houses on, getting no viewings at all. And um, yeah, as I say, the owners are feeling very disenchanted with mm. them. You're you're extremely clear, John, in the negotiator piece about you know where you are with all of this, where you stand. Can you can I get mm. get you to crystallise that viewpoint for for the podcast for us? Well, let me just say that uh, this this really has come about for me because of lots of conversations that I have with estate agents all around the country. Um, because of my business, uh, we've got a business called Dr. Photo. Um, and that puts us in contact with an awful lot of estate agents. And, you know, I say to them, how are things going? And they say, you know, uh, well, it could be better. Mm. Um, my competitors are overpricing properties. And uh, that leaves me in a difficult situation because, you know, if I tell them the pro- proper price, then um, I lose the instruction. Uh, very often, but not always. I mean, there's there are a lot of vendors who are very pragmatic about it, and they will ask the the right question. You know, why uh, why is this um, one estate agent so much higher than the other estate agents have asked to uh, to give evaluation? So, I'm I'm hearing conversations uh, from estate agents about it, and this is why I wrote uh, that particular uh, piece in the Negotiator. Um, and it's something to be honest that I experienced uh, to a lesser degree probably over my 37 years um, in a state agency, you know, it was something that happened a lot, but I think it's a lot, it's happening a, a lot more now uh, that, um, that there is a lot of overvaluation in property. And and to my mind, it's a, it's the kind of thing, the reason I wrote the article was that it's the kind of thing that gives a state agency a bad name. Um, a state agency has such, such a rotten reputation and it, it's a reputation that is um, arises, I think, because there are a few 
uh, bad apples um, in the barrel and everybody else tends to, I mix my metaphors here, but everybody else tends to get tired of the same brush. I don't think that's very uh, very fair um, on estate agents. I'm still an estate agent at heart, even though we run this uh, property marketing agency. I, I'm still very much an estate agent at heart. I just reached the point where I wanted to kill people, which is why I'm no longer an estate agent. <laughs> um and um you know uh now we we have this um marketing agents which is much more fun uh, yeah. for me um and uh you know because i'm i'm not really what you describe as a people person hmm. i'm very I'm, I'm very happy doing what what uh what we do in fact i've retired now my son hmm. runs it but um estate agency for me is very much in my heart um and i i, I really hate seeing um the reputation of the industry um, going down the pan, really, for the sake of some people who game the system. And, and of course, by definition, if uh, the, the the blame is to be placed, and, and as you say quite rightly, wrongly, that that uh, estate agents can be tarred with the same or all tarred with the same brush, we're, we're mm. tending to overlook unrealistic vendors, aren't we, John? As well, we should realise that you know, as public, have got some role to play in all of this. Well, the public definitely has a role to play, and but as I say, they're not they're not um, educated mm. in the in the way that estate agents work. They they don't understand the way that estate agents work, which is why I've said that um, you know what I would like very much to see is terms of business having some kind of a wealth warning uh, instead of a cigarette pack health warning, health warning, a wealth warning, something at the top of the uh, terms of business saying you know if you're a estate agent wants you to sign a, a sole agency longer the next weeks, whatever that might be, mm. uh, then um, ask them why they would need that long. Because I think, you know, if we can, if you can get that conversation going, um, I mean, maybe people would, would like to share the article that I, that I wrote mm. with their, with their uh, potential clients so that there's some kind of explanation about what uh, to, to the clients about what um, actually is going on when, when the state agent wants the, a 28 week sole agency and and is suggesting a much higher price if we can get that conversation going with the public and if we can get the leadership of uh, property mark um and ricks to a lesser a lesser extent um if we can get them to listen to um this particular issue then it might be that we we can actually get somewhere but i i think you know i think really the industry has sat on its on its thumb mm -hmm. Uh, for so many years um, about this, and and it's actually getting worse, uh, in my opinion, um, because I, I, or, or at least I'm hearing many more instances of um, of estate agents, you know, saying that this is happening to them a lot more than it was. You're saying Property Mark and RACS, you know, they should step in with a code of conduct. Do you believe that they have the power and, and ultimately the will to do this? I think when I was teaching photography for Property Mark in Westminster, mm. I used to see um, the powers that be from Property Mark uh, go in with ministers, etc., into into the offices there and talk about things. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly there was um, an article last week, wasn't there, where the, I've forgotten his name now, the, um, the Labour uh, guy was talking about a levels for estate agents, which mm. is stupid. Uh, you know that there was that conversation going on, and somebody from Property Mark um, said that I can't remember what he said, but I mean, it's clear that there there is a relationship between them. 
I, I think they they need to um, they need to uh, lobby uh, for something to happen so that um, members of the public uh, are aware of this particular issue uh, and and you know ask questions about the the sole agency so uh, terms so that um, so that they don't get had um, by the agent because at the end of the day those people are going to potentially lose a lot of money um and as i say they're going to be feeling very unhappy with their estate agent and by association they're going to be probably feeling very happy with all the state agents because they they'll think that all the state agents are the same and they're all out to mm. um catch them out and i you know from the industry perspective it seems to me a no-brainer for um for the for the industry to actually well, at least the property mark particularly to take a leadership role in this. I have emailed Nathan Emerson, haven't had a reply, um, and it, you know I find that really sad. That, mm. that that you know what's the point in the association if they don't actually um, take a leadership role in such matters? Uh, that that can actually damage the reputation of genuinely good estate agents who want to do um, the right job. Are you advocating consequences then for those who don't play by the rules? Well, I think if you have um, a theoretical framework, if you have um, some kind of a policy, a charge, if you like, for estate agents, that this is the way that we would like to see things done, then it gives the good estate agents a reference point. They can say, you know, the National Cell Property Mart says, or RICS says, that um, the ideal uh, time for a sole agency is eight weeks or, or less. Mm. Um, and therefore, if you're, you know, if 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 the estate agents who feel that they are good estate agents uh, promote themselves uh, in a way that is supported by their national bodies, then I feel that you've got something that um, that you can actually bang the drum about. Because at the moment, there is nothing to bang the drum about. There is nothing illegal mm. about an estate agent asking for a twenty-eight week uh, sole agency. Um, certainly, you know, and there are no guidelines as to as to what uh, would be a an appropriate length of term uh, for a sole agency. Uh, and you know, I think, but as I say, I think you can't say that you can't have a twenty eight week agency because there are, are occasions when when a vendor is going to ask, you know, a high price for their property, and of course, the agent will want to know that they've got some time mm. in order to test the market. It's when the when the estate agent says. Um, I want, you know, I, I think the property is worth 10% more than the other estate agents are worth, but I want a 28 week sold agency. That's 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 when it goes wrong, I think, because I think if they had um they had belief in their in their valuation, then they that why would they want 28 weeks? You know, why not just stick to eight weeks or or less? This this I suppose this is almost crystal ball time, but what actually is your assessment? of what's likely to happen next. I think rental values and um, wage inflation might well have saved the uh, the property market because the nearest occasion I can remember that was anything like this, where we had a Middle East war, we had high inflation, that kind of thing was mm-hmm. 1973. I worked for Manning Company back then as a young chap and we had 400 houses uh, on the market. And then we had John Barber, the Chancellor of the Exchequer who overinflated the economy. Middle East war, we had high energy prices. Mm. Basically, what happened was that we went from 400 houses to six um, inside 
about seven or eight months. And then over the next 12 months, when the market went pop, uh, we went up to 600. So this is a, a, a pretty violent time in terms of market conditions. We were taking on lots and lots of houses, uh, thinking that it was marvellous because we'd gone through a time of famine when, when nothing was coming on. So it's almost identical to mm. what's been happening. Today, we have um, very high rental values. And on the basis that people have to live somewhere, I think that you know people are certainly buying properties rather than rather than renting them. You've got higher interest rates, and so their ability to uh, to pay very high prices has been somewhat truncated. Mm. I think it would be a more balanced market now going forward, with the prospect of interest rates coming down. Obviously, we we, we should see things stabilise, and we've had uh, wage inflation, but we have to be a bit careful. You've, you've got a situation where there are a lot of businesses that are actually a lot more businesses now that are that are, are folding. I imagine that there would be quite a lot around the hospitality and leisure uh, industries. Those businesses, yeah. if they do fold, then that's going to be uh, putting people out of work. And I think that those those people taking those people out of the buying pool uh, will have an effect on the market going forward. So I, I don't think we're out of the woods. And I think that the danger is that when estate agents see that interest rates uh, are probably uh, softening, the danger is that they'll start to overvalue properties again, and we'll end up in a similar sort of situation to to what we had a few months ago, uh, where agents thought that prices were going to, going to continue up and, and overvalue properties on the basis that they thought that the value was going to go to um, uh, to rise up to what they were asking. But um, they didn't. And, and so we ended up with an awful lot of houses on the market that were overpriced and probably a lot of embarrassed estate agents mm-hmm. having to go back to their vendors as we did in 1973 um, and say, you're going to have to uh, reduce the price. Uh, back in 1973, we had to disinstruct ourselves from hundreds of houses. <laughs> we had to actually phone them up. We were told by um, Manenko. Uh, at the time where we where we were, that um, we had to phone these people up and say, you know, if you don't uh, reduce the price, we're going to have to take it off the market, which was absolutely outrageous. Can you imagine doing that? <laughs> yeah. uh, phoning, phoning hundreds of your vendors and saying, we're going to have to take it off the market unless you drop your price. John, it's been really great to get your thoughts and experience. So that's John Durrant there on the podcast. I want to pick up on something that that John has said there sort of really from the get-go and you know this idea of property mark and the RCS doing something this this code of conduct I mean what, what do you expect or think they'll do Simo if if anything at all will there be action well to be honest I think we collectively as agents and um guys in the business need to put the pressure on them uh, and it is something that I think John is quite quite up for i think ultimately we are you know property mark rics definitely are trying to professionalize the problem with rics unfortunately is that it's a much wider business you know and and it may be that they you know they could start by insisting that anybody that operates an rics regulated business has to run short-term contracts and that may be a stipulation and you'd be picked up on through ethics if you didn't property mark is the wider one really because uh really Realistically, we are getting to the point where the uh, the ROPA, the ROPA industry uh, regulation is going to be coming in. And that has to sometime soon. I know it's been put off and put off and put off, but Property Mark will really need to 
insist that agents adhere to that code of conduct. There is a kind of code of conduct to be a member of Property Mark, but this doesn't appear within that. You you can virtually with with contracts do practically what you like as long as it's not uh, disadvantaging the consumer in any way you know you could argue that 28 weeks is a decision that they choose to enter a contract does it disadvantage the consumer well yes we know it does but does the consumer realize that something else that is a disadvantage we've had we've raised it before on on the right move simo overvaluing it always seems to to rear its head at some stage, um, I think um, trying to sort of summarise some of what John said accurately, and I, and I think it's fair to say he, he believes overvaluing, whilst you could say has never gone away, that it's going to return in some kind of order, return with a bit of vengeance. You got any thoughts on that? The more competitive the market gets for agents, uh, overvaluing becomes more prominent. So you know, ultimately, we are seeing agents overvalue uh, because they want to get the business it's human nature of course you walk into uh, or you know you have an agent walk into your house and say this house is worth 500,000 and somebody else says it's worth 450,000 you're going to think that the agent that's come up with the highest price is going to sell it for you at that that's rarely the case the best people to listen to are the professionals the people like me as registered valuers because I I do look at property as if it's a saleable price and then i talk to my clients about well you know we could try it for a little bit more but realistically i want them to understand that i'm giving them a true and accurate valuation I, you know i had one just last week a couple who'd um bought a, bought a property for three hundred and ninety thousand pounds they'd spend a hundred thousand pounds on it and they're hoping that it was worth over over five hundred thousand. Well, actually, when it came to it, I I said to them, I think it's worth four fifty, and what they'd spent on it was more for the now for them to live, and longer term gain that back in capital appreciation. However, I know I'm I'm up against a brick wall on that particular point mm. because somebody else will go in there and say, ah, well, it's fine, it's worth five hundred and fifty thousand, and they'll think that that's absolutely correct. Uh, and then time will time will tell when it comes down. You know, it has to be reduced. And so I think, yes, overvaluing is still very prominent, even now, but ultimately overvaluing will be the biggest nemesis for the long term. Mm. Very easy, especially all the telly stuff, isn't it? You know, the property shows, the doer-uppers and stuff, to easy trap to fall into. You know, we've had the grey windows put in and the chartwell green fascia and it should be worth this and somebody that is in a you know a respected and trustworthy position such as your good self comes along and you know has to just has sometimes to blow that out of the water um it's the podcast the right move the leading property podcast you with andrew simmons and jp now alan is going to be on shortly to talk about the progress of his self build it's kind of within touching distance really of being done can't be long now until uh Simmer, they'll be in there sipping pinot and and munching on canapes i'd imagine <laughs> In front of his single nook fireplace. Um, <laughs> of course. How could you? Did I mention the <laughs> Yes, you mentioned the fireplace. Ding, fireplace. Uh, oh, did. Again. Ding. Repeat face for that Ingle nook fireplace. Um, I think I did pretty much Charlie time. What do you think, Simo? Yeah, let's get Charlie on. Charlie says. Charlie says. Let me start by saying. There is one circumstance in which I think it is defensible for an estate agent to ask a seller for a longer commitment, and that is when the seller 
is insisting on a price, an asking price, higher than the agent advises. Okay, so the scenario where an agent says, look, it really isn't going to get more than £300,000. Uh, you know, that, that's going to be the, the most optimistic I think we can get for it in this market. And the seller says, look, we just, we want to try it at 325 350 whatever it might be. In that scenario, for an agent to say, okay, I'll, if that's the condition of me getting a business, then I have to agree to it. Then in return, could you please give me longer to sell it? Because in my view, that's over-optimistic and it's also going to make it harder to sell because then when we have to reduce the price, uh, it's going to make it f- look and feel tainted. And hopefully a really good agent will actually talk a seller down away from making that mistake. But other than that scenario, there is only one other reason why an estate agent would ask a seller to sign a lock-in contract for a long period of time. And it is this. The estate agent knows that they will not be selling that or finding a buyer and getting a sale agreed within the 28 days that a really good agent would do. They know that's not going to happen. Because they want the opportunity to maximise their earning potential from that sale, or that property listing, I mean, even if they don't sell it, they want to have you on their shelf gathering dust as a property on their books for as long as possible because those agents are the ones who pursue, deliberately pursue a strategy of pile them high. Just let's make it look like we're the most successful agent with the most properties for sale because most uninitiated sellers will think, oh, they must be good if they've got all of them. But what they don't know is that many, not all, but many of those agents with very large inventories actually only sell a fraction of the properties that they list. But why would they do that, you ask? Why would they list stuff they can't sell? Because especially among some of these corporates, they have internal in-house brokers and referral schemes where they can milk a listing for a long time to get mortgage leads from buyers who come in and inquire about that property, but are never going to buy it because it's overpriced. But they get them to go and talk to them. So, you know, an uninitiated first-time buyer, the first thing they currently do, which is a mistake, is that they will contact an estate agent about a property to view. And that estate agent will say, yes, come on in and see us. Oh, and please come over here, sit down and talk to my mortgage broker. And bang, they've got them. Whereas what first-time buyers should do is get their own independent mortgage advice first before they start looking. So, I think that an agent asking for a long sole agency lock-in is a massive red flag if you are a realistic and committed seller. Because for an agent who says, but what happens if I invest time trying to sell this property and then the seller changes agent? Well, they won't do that if they believe that you're doing your best and you're doing a good job. They're not going to change agent. It's a pain having to change agent. So... I know really good agents who say to their clients, if you're not happy, tell me. If you really want to move, I'm not going to stop you moving because I don't want to keep you with me if you're unhappy because that's bad for my reputation. So in other words, if both parties are reasonable, the agent and the seller are reasonable, you'll figure it out and you won't need a contract. But sometimes relationships don't work and when that happens, the seller needs to be free to go away and sign up with an agent or, or, or go on the market with an agent that they can just work better with for whatever reason. If you insist on keeping a seller on your books for longer than the seller wants to be on your books, you're doing it purely for profit and you are knowingly hamstringing that seller's chances of getting moved. I know a lot of agents do this because they say, well, those sellers aren't really serious anyway. They're just testing the market. They're never going to sell. They want silly money. They're never going to get it. We'll just throw it on our books anyway because it's going to help us look like we're busier and getting more leads. Okay, to those sellers that don't need to move, the risk is small of a long-term sole agency contract. They're just being used and milked by the agent, okay? And they kind of deserve each other in that scenario. But if you are a seller that needs to sell, signing a long sole agency agreement with a crap agent that doesn't sell your house 
is a disastrous setback, especially in a falling market. I think John is a fantastic example of what an outstanding agent looks like. I think his wisdom coming from the veteran that he is of three housing downturns from going back to the 70s means that he's got golden advice for both agents and movers who don't know what a down market is like. You're with The Right Move. Subscribe to us now on all major podcast apps. Hat tip there, chapeau to uh, Charlie as ever. Well, holiday lets, second homes, etc. We've spoken about them before, Simo, some of the issues they can create in communities. And it wasn't that long ago that we had the MD of Shoreline Properties in Whitby talking. Uh, he, I mean, Very sympathetic, I thought he was, to the effect that uh, this area can have on the locality, communities, individuals, etc. And now new controls are coming in from the summer. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I think there is a balanced view to be had with this because, of course, tourism is required in a lot of these uh, places that will be badly affected. We talked about Whitby, for example. But on the flip side, yes, absolutely, it's very difficult then for people to, um, locals, that is, to come and actually buy a property because the of the inflation of the, of the price as a result. Mm. So I think, um, yeah, absolutely, it's it's one to be to be balanced about. Uh, but ultimately, I think it's a it's a good thing for those communities. But those communities will then have have to have that balance of are there enough properties for tourism purposes? Mm-hmm. I think realistically, the the previous story we talked about was to do with council tax and all of that, mm-hmm. wasn't it? About mm-hmm. about how they would look, and I think that's possibly a stronger way to to approach it and because it will tackle out of towners to hit their profit i guess they're only going to increase their their let you know the price per week or price per night to cover that but equally you know there's some staggering figures really you know you know for example the number of holiday lets in england rose by 40 percent between 2018 and 2021 um you know that's that's just that's just massive, you know, massive when you think about it. As I say, it creates those problems in those communities for people to stay there. I think we are looking as well at more affordable housing being built in those areas, but they'll be outside the towns, won't they? And they'll be, you know, they'll be, they won't be the same. You won't be able to buy that fisherman's cottage any longer. Um, and uh, so I think it's a story that I think will uh, have a different view for a you know, everyone will have a separate view on it. In one sense, it's good for it to be happening. Important to say that these new rules won't apply to anyone renting out their main homes for less, less than 90 nights a year, nine zero, that is. I mean, does that seem a sensible figure, clause, or just something that some politician or, you know, Whitehall has kind of plucked out the air? Well, you know, that's three months, isn't it, mm. roughly? So, you know, our holiday lets are going to want to be you know, people are going to want to let them for more than three months. Mm. If they don't, then they'll be hit in the pocket. Honestly, until it comes in, it's one of those that's quite a tough one to call. But I think on the on the face of it, as I said, you've got to be a bit, certainly in, in my position talking about it now, you've got to be quite balanced because mm. there will be a view on either side of the fence. There'll be the haters and there'll be the appreciators of it. Something's got to be done, but equally they can't destroy the community from a tourism perspective as well. Yeah, well, look, here's a thought on the hoof. Why don't we leave it a couple of months? Sort of, you know, we'll let sort of spring, summer go by and then uh, perhaps catch up with uh, David, it is, from uh, 
shoreline properties and see what uh, whether Whitby, Scarborough, etc. Because I know that in the the, the uh, piece on the BBC News website, uh, they used Scarborough as an illustration, and you know obviously there's so many coastal places that have uh, had this have an effect on them. Uh, now, one final thing to do, and uh, that is to bring you up to speed with a certain self-build. Here is Alan. Hello, chaps. Quick update from the White Hearts Grafton Regis barn conversion at the rear. Uh, all the roof has now been um, battened out and uh, felted and what have you. And uh, the exciting part happened the other day when the uh, all the new slates arrived. Uh, they've all been put onto the roof, ready to be uh, fitted on in the right place. Just put stacks all over the place. And he started putting the lead flashing up the side um, that's going down onto the roof, which is quite exciting. The stonemason finished the porch the other day, the two stone plinths that we're gonna build the porch on. And uh, the builder erected the porch yesterday, nice oak frame porch going on the front and that looks lovely and they've started as I say they've started putting the slates on today so we we almost going to be watertight very soon there's four guys on the roof today putting the slates on so they're going on at quite a rapid pace and then that's it we should be starting to put the windows in in a few weeks time so that'll be more exciting if the money lasts out as uh, as usual uh, with every project I think we've gone over budget but uh, never mind we're gonna have a wonderful house when it's finished Cheers, Al. And as you mentioned, uh, Simo, it's got an Inglenook fireplace, apparently. I'm looking forward to seeing this Inglenook fireplace. <laughs> we are done, Simo. Uh, you can get back in your racing suit now. I hope it's... Uh, is it fire retardant? <laughs> it needs to be with that Inglenook fireplace, doesn't it? Um, but um, I will get... Uh, I, I, sadly, I, I don't fit my old... Uh, uh my old race suit any longer <laughs> and i certainly wouldn't fit into charlie's well um, no. the season is about to start and maybe uh we will have some uh some info and some news uh by the mm. next uh the next episode i know you think you're hot stuff but that's ridiculous until next time simo 10-4 jp